Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio Technica. Audio Technica are a global but still family run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio quality, yet affordable products because they believe that high quality audio should be accessible to all. And I'm speaking to you right now wearing the M50X headphones. They're for the studio, they're for every day. I speak to all my guests wearing these headphones because that's the way I like to listen. But whatever way you like to listen, head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. Welcome to Lost and Sound. I'm Paul Hamford. I'm your host. I'm a writer and author based in Berlin, where I'm speaking to you right now from. And this is the show where each episode I have conversations with the musical innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about music, creativity, life, and the things that inspire us to make the things that we make. Previous guests have included Peaches, Suzanne Chiani, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Hanya Rani, Ghost Poet, Cozy Funny 2T, Nightmares on Wax, and Thurston Moore. And today on the show, I have a chat with musician, producer, composer, and DJ Rose. My book, Coming to Berlin, is available in all good bookshops or available via the publisher's website, Velocity Press. And Lost and Sound is now existing as a substack too. If you like the flow of what I do, if you like if you like written words about music and about creativity, uh, go and give it a check out. Maybe give it a subscribe if you like it too. There's a there's a hyperlink in the podcast description. Um, okay, so yeah, I hope you're having a good one. Um, this is actually episode 101 of Lost and Sound. Somehow the uh, last week Hania Rani's episode was episode 100 and and I kind of kind of I didn't even notice it until I got a, a, a little notification telling me and that, that was definitely something I felt like a bit of a bit of a landmark for the show. So thank you if if you're listening. Thank you if you've been a listener for a long time. Thank you for if you've been a listener for, for if this is your first episode. Uh, really grateful to have you here. And yeah, so this this episode yeah i have a i have a chat with rose who for the last decade or so is the musical persona of seth horvitz um seth's music as rose hits this sweet spot between techno and avant-garde composition and the result is uh, that they make music that i think it's easy to have a very very deep experience with um most recently on their album please touch which came out a couple of months ago their music is tactile it feels alive it kind of unfurls in its own way in its own unique time i mean i love techno and yeah i live in berlin but techno and dancing is not my main musical energy and i think it's useful to listen sometimes to music that uh from producers that are 
associated with the dance floor, at least partially, in a way that extends way beyond the dance floor. And and you can kind of hear so much more going on, particularly in Rose's music. I mean, I think on one hand, I think of there's something in their music that reminds me of, uh, it could be Tangerine Dream, the same kind of opening, unfurling spaces. It's electronic music, but it also feels somehow ancient, somehow unearthed um or throbbing gristle for that matter and i also think of the um experimental compositional music that that does play a role in in rose's background um so their journey and persona and the way it's connected with their music i think is really interesting and and we go on to talk about that and it started a long time ago in 90s california when they were making techno under a different name and there was a point where they initially decided to turn their back on the dance floor and on techno and went to study modern composition at the prestigious Mills College in San Francisco. And the significance of Mills as a place that has nurtured avant-garde music in the 20th century cannot be underestimated. If I look at the alumni and teachers that have passed through or have been there, have uh, included outright mavericks, outright game changers like Pauline Oliveros and Steve Reich for two. Um, But in 2011, Seth returned to techno under the form of Rose, named after Marcel Duchamp's alter ego, Rose Selavie, and their persona through public appearance, through sound challenges and interrogates gender norms and preconceptions. And our music has a fluidity, a sort of natural unfurlingness that i mean compare what they do right to the other spectrum of what people are dancing to at the moment there are no drops there are no short releases it's music that takes its time to unfurl and and music that has a sense of immersion and and atmosphere and a kind of sexual energy as well and this is something that we go into the interview um yes so this is what happens when I caught up with Rose. Okay, well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Seth. So, um, yeah, really, really, I mean, I'm, I absolutely love Please Touch and I love all your work. And um, I, I wanted to just start by asking, like, how, what what was the sort of genesis for the idea of Please Touch? Do you, do you work very much in like a kind of a sort of never-ending continuum or, or do you sort of see things more as project by project? I think it's a little more like the never ending continuum, to be honest. Mm. Um, Yeah. If I sort of set out to make an album or an EP, it usually doesn't quite work the way I plan it. And so the way it usually happens is that I, I know at some point I need to have a new album and I have a rough idea. I have some ideas of sort of what, it should touch on maybe what it should, no pun intended, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, the the areas that it should focus on maybe or some general ideas of what I'm going for. But the way I kind of discover where to take it is really by looking at the music I've made over the last several years mm. and finding the strongest pieces that go together and then usually i have to make more and augment that but Mm. i mean i guess the exception is when i collaborate with people because when i collaborate it 
tends to go much faster and it's sort mm -hmm. of you make something and it becomes a release. When I'm working on my own, it, it is more of this kind of continuum and I reflect a lot on it as I go mm. and sort of figure out, hmm, these tracks seem like they should be for an EP, these should be for an album, but what else needs to go with this? Um, always thinking about kind of what came before and what would make sense as a follow-up, you know, I'm mm. so I, I I definitely think of this the music i release as as a kind of continuum that should have a thread running through it do you um find like that what once that kind of starts to come together do you do new newer themes kind of um, do, do like individual themes emerge like you know with please touch it's got to me it's sort of it's got this kind of very tactile sort of sound to it which which i kind of hear in all of your music but with the title please touch you know i have this kind of idea that there is this kind of idea of physicality going on in in some kind of form and and did that become something you kind of consciously dug into as as you started to gather more of the material for it well the title usually comes at the very very end so um the title didn't inspire the music but as you say that theme runs through my music constantly and i suppose it's it, you could say it's a little stronger in this one but also you know once you give something a title i think that it it affects how you interpret the music so mm -hmm. um, interestingly i think in in a way it changes the music that that the title and how you present it it frames how people experience it. So mm -hmm. I think it almost makes it more tactile by calling it that in a weird right. way. Right. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? The association we, we kind of attach to names and, and do you feel like, is it, I can imagine it is quite important then to name something very near the end of the process. Then once, once you feel like you've kind of nurtured it enough. Yeah. I spend a lot of time staring at words, going back over lists of things to try and decide what feels right, you know, mm. and and it's a it can be kind of a painful process, you know. There's a it often is really at the last moment when I kind of make my final decision on titles and things like that and and artwork. Um, so far, it's I feel almost all the decisions I've made have been right on when I look back. Um, but sometimes it feels very precarious in that moment. Am, am I? giving it the right title is is this strong is this is this the right thing for this project you know yeah and, and do you um what what kind of instincts do you or kind of uh practices do you draw on when it comes to sort of letting go of something when you when you know that something that that point of like it's titled it's finished and you're, you're putting it out into the world or you're going okay this isn't these are no longer ideas i'm going to be working on do you have like certain kind of methods of knowing how to cut off or knowing instinctively when something feels right to you um cutting off you mean sort of when to move on to the next project yeah or when it's when something is actually kind of ready when it's it leaves your computer yeah i think i i have maybe a better intuition about those things over the years but also i depend often on um, close friends to mm -hmm. kind of get that you know 
someone else really needs to say this is done and stop working on it a lot of times <laughs> it's a little easier eps and shorter releases mm. there's less pressure but when it comes to an album i feel i feel a lot of weight and i i kind of need someone close to me to say uh okay it it's ready <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and i think it's really important because I, I put a book out um a year or so ago and it was for that i found um I, I was kind of limited by the time like the publisher wanted it for a certain date so i had to kind of work to that but i i can't i definitely relied on a very small close group of friends to to sort of give me feedback and guidance on on certain parts of it and but it, it's, it's interesting sort of you know taking advice from people as well isn't it because some people's advice is relevant to you other people's advice is more like you're kind of just curating different opinions yeah, it's it's true. I I don't always take the advice of people, um, but I don't ask too many people. There are there's a handful of close friends that I that I really respect who I who are very who I've known for a very long time and really understand what I do. And usually those people are also operating outside somewhat the club world, mm. um, but. Uh, I, th I think that um, there might be little nitpicky opinions that I can differ with, but I, yeah, I, I'll also ask a few people and kind of then take that advice and put it all together and find the path. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's a kind of art form of curation in itself, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's interesting what you're saying there, but um, I, I was listening in a cafe earlier on today to please touch again, just to prepare. And so I just started writing down individual words that kind of came into my head and, and there were things that I kind of felt already, but things like words like um, pagan, um, cyclical, feminine over kind of masculine in terms that there's no sort of like, unlike a lot of like, you know, you're saying you don't, DJ so much festivals in the summer, you know, like the mo like modern kind of electronic music that's reliant on sort of big drops and stuff, which I find quite kind of phallic and in in a way, you know, like the kind of ha the idea of having these kind of big kind of eruptions of of you know climaxes and stuff. Whereas your music just sort of has this kind of weaving, unfurling uh, kind of thing. And I was I was wondering if that make if I'm off the mark with that or if that's sort of something that kind of is a thing that you draw on with your work i definitely draw on that i mean I, I think music especially dance music is so much um i mean it's so closely related to sexual energies and um so i like to think of music in terms of you know is this what kind of what kind of love making would this <laughs> music be you know mm. and yeah the standard kind of techno with drops would be more like the porn style of love making easy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> payoffs and stuff but you know i'm going more for the long night of patient intimate yeah. love making um with lots of nuance you know and um teasing and but mm. gentle and uh but with also moments of real intensity with with climaxes but mm. climaxes that don't last for three seconds but for that go on and on you know so that's <laughs> like if this were sex w would it be really good sex or would it be cheap 
<laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And also, like something like porn is like it just is is a visual medium as well, isn't it? So it's sort of like it strips away all of the kind of sensuality of sex and all of the kind of space and and exploration and 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 stuff. And it's like um, with your music as well, there is the, that sort of element that it, it's so sort of expansive as as well. You know, there's like you know you can kind of get lost listening to it. Um, I feel I'm going on a bit of a tangent there with that one, but like, I mean, do, does the sort of scope of your music, because it's like, you know, your background in, in both techno and in modern composition, is it sort of about like hitting a sweet spot between both for you, you know? Definitely. And that's tricky because if you're thinking in terms of generating kind of erotic energy, then you mm. don't want to be thinking too much. The same That doesn't quite go with the experience either. yeah <laughs> but i i ideally want to have music that can do both so that you mm. could actually sit and have a very intellectual engagement with it um that would be meaningful um but not at the expense of losing the eroticism and the sensuality of it you know mm. so i guess i would put the sensuality first mm. um but I'm hoping to create something that's sort of multifaceted that can generate different kinds of experiences under different um, listening environments. You know, I might be wrong, but the first Rose release I was aware of was was that like 2011? Was it? Yep. That would be yeah. Amazing. And so was it this idea to kind of because uh, like the image of Rose as well and the music was it was that was that like a conceptual element for you in um because you had you know several different phases before this you know both in music and in education as well was it was it very important for you to kind of create like a kind of a um a kind of a whole entity for the music and the persona of this when when Rose emerged yeah I made this sort of conscious decision pretty early on to to sort of deal with my presence on the stage as an essential part of the project mm. and it, it wasn't right away so i did a few shows uh where i actually wore a mask because i i knew i wanted to do something um but hadn't quite figured it out and i didn't want to just be this same presence that I am in day-to-day -day life. I wanted mm. it to be a sort of alternate parallel reality somehow. Mm. And uh, I guess the the idea of of sort of cross-dressing came, came pretty early on, but I wasn't, it was kind of something I kept inside and then I mm. discussed it with a couple of friends. And, and of course the inspiration is because the name, you know, refers to Marcel Duchamp's mm. feminine alter ego. So from the beginning, I thought, oh, this is an option. You know, mm. I've, I'm taking this name, so this is an option. Um, I think I didn't have the courage, really, at the very beginning to take that on. And then after talking to a few people, it really felt like the right thing to do. So it was also, in a way, something that maybe I never had the opportunity to to sort of explore in my life in the past. Mm. This was almost like an opening up. Like now this avenue is open to me and this is a sort of a new part of my life that I can explore. And it just 
really adds something to the experience of the music, I think. So it's it does all these different things. It kind of gives me this avenue of personal exploration to play with and enjoy. And then it also adds something to the musical experience. Um, it adds something aesthetically to the whole project, you know. Mm. So um, I'm glad I decided to do that at the very beginning. And mm. uh, it's become a very, you know, it's become something that's very intimately related to me as a person now too. In, initially, one of the things was one of the reasons I wanted to uh, change who I was on stage s- somehow was actually to keep the project sort of very separate from my personal life. Mm-hmm. And that quickly became, you know, that kind of, became the opposite that it became really closely connected to my personal life. And it was, it made sense to do that. So and it was part in the beginning, in the beginning, it was partly this resistance to going back to the techno scene Mm. because I had this impression that I was going to leave the techno scene and do more sort of quote unquote serious Mm. composition. Um, But I found this place that I could work within the techno scene that still allowed me to use some of those ideas and feel like I was creating something meaningful um, based on the education I've had and the newer newer experiences I've had in between, you know, the old projects and the new. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it was something that it was started with resistance and then I started to embrace it. So the taking on this kind of persona was a way to keep distance. And then it actually became a way to get more intimate with the project. Right. So it's it's so interesting, isn't it? How like, you know, ideas can, um, yeah, our perceptions can change and we can, uh, we can grow into something and we realize that an idea can actually be something that becomes uh, more important to our life than we perhaps thought it was. Yeah. And maybe the the function of it, in my life, I'm in in one's life can change and actually mm. become sort of the opposite of what was originally intended. You know. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you consider yourself because that's quite an open perspective to sort of take on life and and the work we do? Do you consider yourself quite a um, an open person generally? Well, I like to think of myself as. <laughs> that. I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Definitely, that's what I'm. That's what I uh, strive for. Mm. I mean, ab- absolute openness is the goal, really. If anything, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it would be an ambition for mine. I don't know if I'd, I, I don't know how far I, how good I am with it. Probably not as good as my uh, desire to be is. <laughs> but I mean, um, so what you know, you sort of mentioned about like wanting to turn away from the techno scene going back what would the what was it sort of that drove you initially away from sort of rewinding back in time what was it that drove you away from the techno scene or you wanted to leave the techno scene for well it usually has come out in earlier interviews and articles Mm. to say that i was kind of bored of techno Mm. and that's part of it but to say i was bored was is maybe a little bit of an arrogant way to put it because what happened was i started making techno and then as an artist felt like oh but there's so much more to music i want to try Mm. all these different things why should i just limit myself to techno and i was pretty good at making techno when i started it making Mm. it in the 90s 
but I think I started to branch out too soon. Mm. And so I didn't really, I wasn't patient. I was younger, obviously, in my early 20s, and I was not patient enough to really follow a path um, and kind of develop a voice, mm. a strong voice. So I think my influences were a little more clear and I didn't, I didn't take the time with it. And, and instead of taking the time to develop my voice, I felt like I wanted to just expand on it and try making other styles of dance music and even try and get into some like song forms and poppy things. And mm. I was trying to incorporate, I mean, I always think of myself as someone with eclectic music tastes. So mm. I got a lot of my musical knowledge early on through being a college radio DJ at uh, um, yeah. Berkeley, California. So like, you know, university radio stations in the US mm. are just great places for all kinds of music. They cultivate so many different subcultures of music. So I was heavily involved with that radio station thought of myself as someone into a lot of eclectic styles and I wanted to sort of incorporate all of that somehow mm. but it was too messy and I mm. wasn't I was uh it, it instead of um creating something with a with a kind of distinctive voice I just it was like a diffusion of interests that none of it was really strong enough so mm. I kind of lost direction by trying too many different things. Yeah. And then at that point, I kind of felt like I really want to actually study, take the time to study music. And I started doing that. And, you know, I thought the end goal of that would be to actually go into another form of music that would be more listening focused and with sort of more kind of academic training behind it. Um, I guess I didn't know exactly what that would be. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't really paying much attention to the techno scene by then. So to some extent I had gotten a little bored of what was going on in techno, but what, um, yeah, I mean, it, after I finished my master's degree, things really just sort of fell into place over the next couple of years for this new project. And um, it made perfect sense to go back to techno, you know, and, and like I said, initially it was, it was with some hesitancy, but uh, I started to embrace it more and more with the years passing, you know. No, it's interesting because I think quite often I speak with guests that go on this journey when they kind of come back to something kind of full circle after thinking they were leaving something behind, but perhaps with the uh, life and experience and perspective that that wasn't there beforehand to reapproach maybe where where a kind of a similar point to where they started off with. Do you do you feel like that was the case for you that the kind of stepping away from it the 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 period um, uh, of an education of composition was something that you had to go through to sort of reapproach music in general yeah definitely i it was absolutely necessary i mm. i wouldn't have i wouldn't have come back to techno i think without going back to study 
non-technology. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it would have happened. If it did, it would have probably been something I tried at and then failed at, mm. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> if I tried to come back to it, I, it wouldn't have um, reached this point. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I like the irony of it. You know, I like mm. the fact that uh, I had to go and study other things in order to come back to it. Because I think what what makes the music, you know, my music sort of significant is that it it is that I, I have this trajectory that mm. is very unusual. So starting with techno, starting with being a self-taught musician, then going into wanting to become a trained musician and learn all of this traditional stuff and then coming back to it it's it's a it's a unique path i think and it i mean i i continually think that what can make techno really interesting is when you know it's inspired by things which aren't techno mm. but of course having a real understanding of the spirit of techno is important mm. too because people oftentimes say from from a classical training, come from a background of classical training or come from the classical world who kind mm. of get interested in techno and want to make it, but maybe they didn't have that in their teens or their 20s. Mm. They, maybe they didn't experience it, but they become fascinated with it at some point. It's actually hard for them to really get it because uh, mm. there's a certain spirit that I think you learn by being part of uh, a scene or a community mm. around, you know, parties, clubs. And this is something I was heavily involved with in San Francisco sort of throughout the 90s. Mm. So the fact that I have that experience of of learning to DJ, going to the record store every week, going to these illegal parties all the time, and then learning other things outside of that, to, to be able to put those things together, I think is is pretty special. Yeah. And, and I think also what's interesting is like, I think it's not always, but there there is quite often a tendency when people are classically trained, but when it comes to breaking free, as well as like maybe what you're saying about techno is like, there's certain uh, ways of being schooled that people find it hard to break out of as well. Like, you know, find it hard to think outside of the way that that particular school has has kind of taught them. So sometimes, you know, classically trained musicians aren't so good at improvising outside of the rules that they know or coming up with choruses, if, if a chorus is a, a, a the sort of thing. But that doesn't seem to be a, a problem for you. You know, like, do you do you feel like because you had this kind of background beforehand that perhaps stopped stop that happening or do you do you think also as well that because of the school you went to that there was a different kind of attitude to to uh composition it was kind of perhaps more like open i know like people like pauline oliveros went there who kind of a lot of their work is kind of founded around sort of exploration oh yeah the it would have been very different i guess if i mm. went to something like juilliard or conservatory mm. and then tried to do that but yeah, I guess when I explain this, if someone isn't really aware of what I'm talking about, it could be misleading. But I, I, when I went back to sort of study music, I did get interested in the hardcore theory, uh, you know, taking piano lessons, doing harmony exercises and all that. I was into that. But when it came time to go 
and get a degree, I chose the program that was very free, collaborative, open at Mills College, which is known for experimental music, for free mm. thinking. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was um, not, you know, a, a huge contrast to come in and out of kind of under um, a world of underground music into that program and out because that program overlaps with tons of sort of subcultures of of weird and experimental music you know yeah um, it, it wasn't a real disconnect of course none of the faculty really know anything about techno so yeah, it was kind of interesting to see some of the students, the younger students who came in who were making beats and stuff and wanted to bring that into, you know, into the program and play that for the professors and stuff. And I always, I was thinking, and sometimes I even made comments like, you know, these professors can't help you with that. They don't, you know more about this stuff than they do. So mm. like this, you don't come to Mills College to get better at, you know, making the beats that you've already made. Like mm. you can do that part on your own. So you have to use this time yeah. <laughs> to kind of get outside of that, then take what you learned and come back to your beats, right? Because the those are the faculty members are doing different things. They're not specialists in any kind of um beats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Dance music. laughs> yeah. I mean, cause like, you know, like I sort of mentioned Pauline Oliveros, but there's also like people like Maggie Payne and Robert Ashley where the um because it has such a sort of um Fred Frith and yes yeah. I mean Steve Reich was a student there as well. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh, That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. But Pauline Oliveros wasn't a student. She taught there for many, oh, many years. Oh right. So. Yeah. I didn't realize that. But yeah, and Fred, yeah, the so the faculty, yeah, yeah. Fred Frith was doing improvisation teaching improvisation mm. for many years. And Roscoe Mitchell from the mm. Art Ensemble of Chicago came in later on also for impro improvisation. Um, and then some of the sort of, you know, early experimenters in computer music were there as well. Mm. People like John Bischoff. And um, so, and, and actually just about anyone, honestly, in, in, who did interesting work in 20th century composition mm. in that sort of world has come through Mills to do something like a workshop or something. Mm. If you look through the list of visiting, you know, artists and composers it it's pretty much is like everyone you can imagine in in the world of avant-garde composition you know it's pretty amazing could you feel the atmosphere of, of the people that have passed through there when you're when you're there oh yeah yeah mm. and uh, one of my jobs on campus was photocopying or scanning all the old programs from concerts going back to sort of mm. early 20th century <laughs> and so i got to see all the concerts that took place and it was mm. just it was magical just going through and kind of thinking about what it was like at all these concerts as I scanned all the programs and stuff like that in these from these filing cabinets. So I started mm. creating a digital archive of that stuff. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, and it's just it's it's heartbreaking to talk about mm. this now because you may know that they've closed the program now after. Uh, I you know, didn't know that actually. It's it, I mean the school started mm. in the 1800s as yeah. a women's college. The music program has mm. been um, important, yeah, since the early 20th century. So we're mm. talking <laughs> over a century that has been kind of thrown in the trash now. It's very sad the, due to really financial issues, you know. Yeah. In this it's, it's sad how something can have such a, a 
great long reputation and importance and then it could be fucked up by probably some fuckwits bumbling accounts or, or something like that. But I get I guess in one way at least the legacy lives on and 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 kind of mutates and rebirths by the sort of generations of people that listen to the music and people like yourself that um that have been there and then transform it into something or elements into something else. I hope so. I hope so. But you know the the history is of that school spans the history of this music. So yeah. we don't really know what happens when these institutions get shut down because yeah. they've been there the whole time. Mm. Uh, it doesn't really bode well in in a in a sense to our future because I think so many things are going awry in mm. in the world and this is one of many so i'm not terribly optimistic that you know other things will take 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 the place of this this program this legendary program you know yeah. i think it was uh, i think it, it was kind of um priceless you know and not replaceable to be honest you know yeah it's it's again it's it's another thing like you say like uh art i think still has such value for people but i i think half the time we don't appreciate it i think it's just we're so used to con like unlimited content that like so much of art just appears to us in the form of like content that we don't fully immerse ourselves in you know and i think one of the things about um electronic music that and techno that has carried over from uh composition is that it is still it can still be experienced in a very immersive way is is that important to you the sort of sense of immersion of like say when you're DJing or or listening to music in, in a in a kind of chosen environment that it is something that is separate from the rest of the world yeah absolutely I I love the idea of just sort of walking into another dimension when you mm -hmm. enter the space of a venue and I think as dark as possible is great. You know, I want to mm -hmm. remove as much of the sensory environment. And yeah, I get completely annoyed when people are chatting on the dance floor, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So yeah, I, I want it to be the best of events are always where you feel like you're, everyone has just walked into this womb of mm -hmm. sound and experience and everyone's experiencing it together. And in the in that space nothing else matters you know and mm. you can take that experience and then use it to think about other aspects of life afterwards but i think there's something very valuable about having your senses sort of cut off and just being in the sound in the room and just having that experience and having that be the most important thing and mm. not just be some element of your social gathering that is just going mm. on in the background. I mean, there's nothing worse than feeling like I'm, you know, just background music for people's cigarette or chat or whatever, like, you know, yeah. of course there's music that works well for that, but um, that's not really what I want to do with these performances, you know? So. Mm. And I guess in the world, there's less and less opportunity for that, isn't it? So I feel like electronic music um, 
and the expansive kind of nature of the kind of electronic music that you do and that I can sometimes also glimmer living here in Berlin and other places is that um, it does give people a very, very rare opportunity to step out from a frequently busy, distracted world. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's a bit of a slippery slope between this idea of creating an immersive space that is disconnected from the world and making a kind of easy escape, right? So Mm. there's a lot of entertainment that provides that kind of immersive experience, but it's Mm. a, it's a kind of easy escape. It's sort of a way to just forget about your 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 life for a minute and just go into you know some kind of entertaining space that just keeps you occupied um and then you just have to go back to your life after that but i'm hoping to do something different which is actually give someone this experience that in a way forces them to consider their experience outside of that space that isn't just a temporary oh go and have this you know sensory experience and ooh and then back you know and then it's mm. it's done like i i want it to be something that people ponder later and 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 consider you know how it relates to say how you experience sound in the world how you mm. experience your physical senses in the world you know Mm. And in a way that kind of ties back into what we were talking earlier on about when we were kind of uh, talking about sex and the the difference between sort of maybe being lost in something for three minutes and then you're back out back into the world again and and being in something that is just like a kind of evolving thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What would you tell your younger self? Um, That question, (laughs) huh? (laughs) <laughs> that that old chestnut, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's a tough one. Those kinds of questions are pretty tough, mm. um, because I like to think that I, you know, wouldn't have gotten to this place if I'd done things differently. So to give advice, you know, who knows where I I would have ended up. But I guess I think, you know, I don't know where it would have led me. But if I had been a little more patient with my trajectory mm. i think that could have been could have been better of course you know like i said i'm glad that things went the way they did even though it was a meandering and you know un maybe unpredictable route um mm. i think as a, as general advice I, I when i look back that this sort of need to try everything was maybe a little too rushed mm. you know and um and having a little more discipline and patience could be could be something good but you know there's there's something also nice about the young rebellious mind mm. that wants to try everything that wants to get into everything you know okay so that was Seth Horvitz aka Rose 
speaking with me, Paul Hamford, for the Lost and Sound podcast. And we had that conversation on the 17th of August, 2023. Um, Rose's most recent album, Please Touch, came out a couple of months ago um, and is, yes, it's available now. There's, there's a hyperlink in the description if, if you're not familiar with it already. I think it's a fantastic album. Um, Lost and Sound is proudly sponsored by Audio Technica. Audio Technica are a global but still family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio quality, yeah, affordable products. Because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. And yes, thanks to Tom Giddens for doing the music that you hear at the beginning and the end of every episode of Lost and Sound. And just the biggest thanks to you for tuning in and listening. Um, I hope you're having, you're having a beautiful week and I'll chat to you soon.